napkins. Those serving that way. It wasn't me tonight. I wasn't having to do that. So, oh, you got me on, right, Eddie? I feel like I'm not very loud, which is probably the way he wants it. Um, so, glad to be here again tonight to be able to speak to you all, and I hope I can keep you awake as we study something, a passage again on worship that I, I have enjoyed. Uh, a passage that's been in my life for a while, um, not just because I grew up in church, but because when I was in college in the year 2000, uh, I traveled on a summer team that did drama and music, and uh, I was, there was a skit about this passage, John 4, the woman at the well, Jesus there. Guess who got to play the role of Jesus? Yes, yes. Though I am not perfect, I had to play the role of Jesus. I kind of questioned whether we should be doing this at all these churches and all this, like if some would be bothered, especially if they got to know me. Um, <laughs> about being uh, having having this thing but you know I was crazy in their mind so we went ahead and we did this woman at the well so I was quoting these uh, portions of the scripture about Jesus every night for a summer uh, as we would uh, do a drama make it alive for people through a drama and and then uh, sing songs uh, so anyhow it's been it's been in my life for a while here's a pic of that group can you see me up there the pasty white on the right yeah you can see me. I'm, that's me right there. I think I, I think I look about the same. Now, there's someone else who's very prominent, could not play the role of Jesus because of lack of humility right here in the front. You guys might recognize Scott Hibbs there, who traveled with us on that team as well. He's into drama a lot. So, um, anyways, that was the group. So, connecting with you guys tonight on that. So, um, turn with me, if you would, to John 4. Um, a lot of memories in this passage then. But it's an important passage of Jesus telling us something about worship. It's uh, very clearly just that he spells it out. Uh, and as I studied this, I really just wanted tonight to be about the word spirit and truth that he talks about. Worship and spirit and truth. And I couldn't as I studied it. So hopefully we get through this whole thing tonight. Uh, but it, there's so much kind of that went into this. Uh, but there are, uh, as a, a point of illustration here as well as we get started, there are some jobs out there where it doesn't matter who you are as long as you can perform what they need you to do. And then there's other jobs or positions out there where it matters, it seems like it matters only who you are or who you know, and you've probably thought that about some of the people that might have been over you at some of your jobs, that they just were related to someone, and that's the only reason they had it. Um, and then there's some jobs where both are important, uh, that they want you to know the stuff, and you also have to have some connections to make it happen, almost. Um, I've kind of found that when I first moved here in 2000, or was going to try to move here in 2005, uh, started doing some job interviews, had a degree in music, had a master's degree in music, couldn't get a job. I had the abilities, they knew I had them, had great references, but just couldn't get the job. Um, God had other things. He was guiding us somewhere else. But then, 2013, we moved here anyways, um, got to know people. They, they started seeing that I wasn't just a Yankee who didn't know how to speak Southern. And uh, maybe I started learning how to speak Southern. I don't know. I think I still speak right. But... Um, <laughs> but... Uh, Anyhow, the, but then I was able to get a job. You got to know the people, and they knew I could teach, and they also knew who I was, and then we get a job. 
The people here in this story, the Jews and the Samaritans, have it very much in their mind that it's important who you are, and it's important how you do something. All right, and they both have that in their mind. So as we study this tonight, let's see how much they're right and how much they're wrong. We'll come back to this at the end a little bit as part of our application uh, that you can see at the bottom of your sheet. So a little historical background as we try to fly through the beginning of this chapter 4 of John. Uh, what we have here is that the Samaritans versus the Jews sort of idea is going on. Uh, 722 B.C., the ten northern kingdoms of Israel fell into captivity from the Assyrians. The Assyrians deported many of the Israelites, uh, and still many Israelites were still left. They infused other captives that they had from other places in there. So we have the intermarriage, the assimilation of mixed culture and religion emerged. And some people even call this area then the lost tribes of Israel. And you can kind of see during the Assyrian kingdom there that blue section up there of, of uh, this area of what was going on as people went off to captivity. Um, eventually the southern tribes also go into captivity I think it's 586, but then the southern tribes are coming back in 539 B.C., before Christ. Uh, the southern tribes come back. They want to rebuild the walls in Jerusalem. Who's opposing them? But the people right here, okay? So they're being uh, opposed by people of Samaria. Tension uh, going on there. Later, Samaria builds a rival temple at Mount Gerizim. This temple was destroyed by a ruler from down here that was Greek, a Judean Greek ruler named John Hyrcanus Her uh, in 125 B.C. So the continued animosity just between the territories really is something going on. And so you've heard this before, uh, as you've probably heard this passage spoke on, but there's some odd things going on uh, in this passage uh, that, that aren't the normal uh, thing going on for Jews with Samaritans. Jesus is in an odd place for a Jew at an odd time to meet another, uh, uh, to meet anyone, and then well, he ends up meeting this uh, wicked Samaritan or this wicked, a sinner woman uh, that's there. John three, just before this, is not so odd. He's talking to a Nicodemus, right? And some people try to draw parallels between these two. He's talking to someone very normal for him to talk to, a Jewish Pharisee, um, discussing, though, something as well that had to do a little bit with water and being born again. And so we have uh, the, the common thing that would be normal for a Jew and then the uncommon thing uh, that Jesus was there for someone else as well, not just the Jewish people as we think of the pure Jews. Uh, so as we get into this, first of all, I'd like to point out that it, it, some of the odd things about this trip. It's not the preferred route. Okay? Some people, they would have to go that way. But as you see Judea, if you're going from Jerusalem up to Galilee, Cana is where Jesus is headed in this chapter. Uh, many of them would head east through Jericho, go over the, sea, uh, the, the river there up, along it, the Jordan, and then cross it again up there at the top. Talk about going out of your way, but that's how much animosity they really feel toward these people. A lot of tension. Instead, Jesus heads up, not a completely uncommon route for them, especially if they were needing to do it because of time or anything, but traveling straight up. So not the preferred route. Also, 
Um, it's an odd time of day. If you look at this chapter, it says it's the sixth hour, which is about noon, not the normal time for a woman to be there at the well. It's odd for a Jew to talk to a Samaritan. Samaritan with Samaritans religiously defiles you, right? So a Jew isn't normally going to be talking to someone like that. It's odd for a man to talk to a woman and carry on a conversation at this time in this culture. And yet Jesus is doing that. It's very odd to request a drink from a Samaritan's cup. Uh, but though all these things seem very odd to us, we may think it's odd, God still has a divine appointment. He has a plan. God has a plan for people being saved. Jesus has a plan and a desire to see the lost come to him. He takes, Jesus is known for taking what is unclean and to make it clean. And he's done this for lepers, for the sick, for demon-possessed. He makes them whole. He can even make, take a sinner and someone like a Samaritan and make them clean. And praise God, because who are we? And we need Christ. So we could learn as well from the example of Christ, taking opportunities, potentially even outside of our own comfort zones, to witness for him because all people are important. As we continue forward in verses 10 through 14 in this passage, if you just are the type of person who can kind of scan that as, as we get into it, it mentions the gift of God that Jesus is offering her water, living water as a gift of God. And what is the gift of God? It can only be made available through the Son. You could even say the gift is the Son. And this is important to our topic tonight. When we're talking about what, where does life come from, where does the connection to God come from, but through God, through the gift of God, this one, salvation through Christ, the once for all, eternal sacrifice. Isaiah uh, 44, 3 says, For I will pour water on him who's thirsty, and floods on the dry ground. I will pour my spirit on your descendants, and my blessing on your offspring. Isaiah 55, 1. Ho, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and you who have no money, come buy and eat. Yes, come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Christ is the answer I would like to submit to you for who can worship. He will eliminate any spiritual thirst forever. This is what all the Jews and really all the world have been waiting for. And Christ is there. It was time. She's caught, though, as we see in that passage as well, she's caught kind of in the naturalistic world, just as Nicodemus, who says, I can't be born again. How can I enter into the mother again and be born again? Right? She's caught into the, you don't have a, you don't have a bucket. How, how are you going to get water? The well's deep. She's caught in this naturalistic world. So what does Jesus do? But he turns it to confronting her sin. He talks to her about, go get your husband, turns into the conversation there that you can read on your own. But it's that she, he's pointing out she is a sinner. She needs the living water that he can offer. Okay, Because of this, she reacts in an interesting way in verses 19 through 20. As you're looking at that, when confronted with your sin, maybe she's doing out of awkwardness that she's changing the topic. Okay, it's possible. She's just changing the topic. Oh, where do we worship? But I'd like to think that as she's confronted about her sin, she has concern about how to get right with God. It's important where I worship then. You just showed me I'm a sinner. But in either case, 
Hopefully you can understand uh, where, I'm, where I'm going here with this. It says, she says, Sir, I perceive you're a prophet, verse 19. Verse 20, our fathers worshipped on this mountain, and you Jews say that Jerusalem is the place where one ought to worship. So she turns it into this question about where, where should we worship? And I hope that when you have sin in your life, that you have concern about how you worship and how you can fellowship with God and how you can praise God and how you can take care of things. Okay, so let's continue studying this to understand it better. The Jews were worshiping in Jerusalem. Samaritans are worshiping in Mount Gerizim. Mount uh, Deuteronomy 27 through 28 Talk about Moses coming in with the Israelites into the promised land. He says, here at Mount Gerizim, half of you will worship right now, pronounce the blessings of God, and the other half at Mount Ebal, which is not very far away, pronouncing the curses of God on sin. So this is as they're heading into the promised land. Later, Solomon, we know in the Old Testament as well, is commissioned to build the temple in Jerusalem, which is what? Does God please with the temple? He is. He's pleased. If you study that out, he's pleased. He's pleased that Solomon has done this for him. The house, the building is filled with smoke. All these different things that pop up is very interesting stuff there in Second Chronicles, uh, chapters five through seven, about God being pleased with the temple as a new place of worship. There, where sacrifices are happening, right? Where there's priests who can communicate with God. Understand, it's a different time than we're in. Right? They're going to a priest and offering sacrifices, all these pictures of something for the future. Now, why aren't the Samaritans going to accept this? Why aren't they going to Solomon's and worshiping with him? Well, there's animosity here right, with the Jews, but they also, they only accepted the first five books of the Old Testament. They only accepted the Torah as, as the Samaritans. So they're missing some of these things that God gave as a part of important information. And this thing about them not having all the information, it comes up in our passage tonight. So this is important for you to understand. They don't see all of God's word and the direction he has for them. They took five books, but they're missing 34. Okay, that's a lot. All right, they're missing a lot of what God had for the people. The words of God are important for worship and to know what he wants in worship, right? So with that in mind, let's head into this uh, chapter 4, verses 21 through 24, which is where we're taking our four points tonight, uh, and we'll talk through those here. So it says in uh, verse 21, Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour is coming, and now is, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. Let's pray. Father, we pray that as we open this word and as we talk through this, that people would hear the words that I say that are true, uh, that they would meditate on things themselves and apply these things to their life in a way that would be fitting and that you'd be pleased in our worship here through our church, through our people, this body that, that you have made and created here for us. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so this brings us to our first point uh, here under John chapter 4, and that is why we worship. 
So question words, you can go ahead and fill that in. I have my asparagus, uh, whatever that is, popping up on the screen to show you what answers to fill in. There's a decent amount, so we better keep moving. Why we worship? So why would we worship? Okay. You're kind of hitting it all. You're kind of hitting it all. Why would we not worship? Why, why we worship? We worship, and I'm going to say, which is all tied into what Brother Pat just said, why we worship is because Christ made us God's people. And if we were not God's people, can we really fellowship with Him? Can we really talk with Him in an acceptable way? Can man without Christ truly worship the Father in an acceptable way? Let's think about that for a moment. We know a lot of verses about this. In Isaiah 64, it says, But we all are all like an unclean thing, and all our righteousness are like filthy rags. We all fade as a leaf, our iniquities are like the wind. Revelation 1, 6 He's, he has made us through Christ, kings and priests. What is a priest able to do? He's able to talk to God. He's able to sacrifice to God. And that's us because of Christ. Without Christ, how could you do that? Ephesians 2, 5, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you've been saved. Can a dead person, if you're dead in your trespasses, can a dead person do, be a true worshiper? You can't worship Christ if you're dead, which is how he describes us. Hebrews 12, 28, therefore, since we receive the kingdom, that's us being saved. That's us being God's people, which cannot be shaken. Let us have grace, show gratitude, by which we may offer really to God an acceptable service, an acceptable worship, because we are his people. Since we are his kingdom, let us show gratitude and offer this worship to him. It's needed, I would like to submit to you, in order to even worship, the first step is, I have to be God's people. I have to be one of God's people. But then also in, not just um, God's people, but look at verse 23 with me. The hour is coming, and now is when two worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is what? He's seeking such to worship him. So I, I really, this is tied into the same thing about being God's people. Okay, the Father is seeking and finding true worshipers. I would like to say that this passage, when it's talking about him seeking, is not strictly talking about how you worship, but is also talking about him seeking us for salvation. Because you look at all this passage up to this point that I, that I kind of flew through, but he's offering living water to the unsaved people. The Father is seeking and finding true worshipers for himself. The word seeking has this idea of craving, trying to obtain. This is something he longs for, and he's seeking it. He wants the relationship again with his image bearers. He craves for it. He craves for the fulfillment of his love to us. He's actively, continually seeking people who will worship him. John 
6.44 says, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. Okay, as part of his seeking and he's finding people. The Son likewise, for the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. And so Christ is involved in this. And here he is talking with the lost who need Christ. Ezekiel 34, 11, For thus says the Lord God, Indeed, I myself will search for my sheep and seek them out. God has sought after and drawn us to be his worshipers. And so think with me, the goal of all evangelism is to create more worshipers. That's what we do. You know, it's chief, the chief end of man to glorify God forever. So the ultimate goal of evangelism even would be, I'm creating more of God's worshipers that he's seeking for. And I get to be part of this with him. Paul said in relation to this evangelism, grace having spread through the many, people being saved, may cause thanksgiving to abound to the glory of God. Seeking for people to be saved so there are more worshipers, that there are those who can truly glorify God. So why do we worship? In answer to that question, we worship because we're his people through Christ. And I hope that you're one of his people tonight because he's seeking such to worship him as part of what he's seeking for in worship. Brings us to point number two, who we are. Not only why we worship, but who, who we worship. Well, you can probably see from this passage who we worship. Who is it? Verse 21, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither worship in this mountain nor Jerusalem. Wor worship the Father. Verse uh, 23, The hour is coming now, the two worshipers will worship the Father. Uh, God is spirit and those who worship him is the father again, right? We worship uh, the father is one of your blanks there. It's, it's clear in this passage of who we're trying to worship. How can you go to the father? This is kind of reiterating the other thing already that we've already looked at. You can only go to the father through the son. We know this. The little book of John, which I've already sort of referenced a little bit when I've talked about fellowship. But that book talks a lot about fellowship, having a relationship with the Father through the Son, having communication with the Father. And with that, 1 John 2.23 says, Whoever denies the Son does not have the Father either. He who acknowledges the Son has the Father also. John, 1 John 2.1, If anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. It's our connection to the Father is through Jesus Christ. So don't miss that in our worship and when we're, when we're saying who we worship, we worship the Father through the Son. Why do we worship? We're God's people. Who do we worship? We worship the Father through the Son. Once again, the way to worship and communicate and have fellowship with the Father is through the Son. Don't miss it. If it's about the Father, why do we always want to make it about us? People say as they come to worship, oh, they better sing a song that I like. You know, I, gotta, I, need, I need a song that I like. I can understand that song. I, I better get something out of church today. What, kids, what did you get out of church today? When you come for the worship service, yes, it is about knowing God, so you're getting something from it. 
but it's really about God, right? So don't, don't miss that. It's about the Father. We worship the Father. It's not about me. It's not about worshiping myself. It's about the Father. And it's everything I'm doing about that when I come to our worship service, even the, the service we call worship service on Sunday mornings. Um, oh, I jumped ahead. Go ahead. You can write that down, but... Pastor referenced Romans 12 last week in his message about giving. Uh, because of what God has done for us, the mercies of God that it talks about in Romans 12.1, the mercies of God, everything up to that point in Romans about salvation, which coming to the Jews and the Gentiles, and everything going on there in Romans, um, because of those mercies to us of salvation, we present our bodies a living sacrifice, an act of worship to him. Not conform to the world. It doesn't have to be about being like the world or cool like the world. It doesn't have to be cool to me, but it's about God. Right? When he's talking about worship there in Romans 12, and we're living sacrifices, it's saying not to be like the world. But we're often so concerned about when I come, I hope I look like, I hope I look cool. Right? I hope we sound cool. Um, no, not that I don't want you to dress nice and take it seriously, but everything we do isn't because of the coolness, it's because of God, right? And we're doing everything because of God, because it's all about the Father, who we worship is the Father. I also, who we worship, that's where we get God as spirit as well, right? What, um, ver right at the beginning of verse 24, God is spirit. And that's an important thing to note as far as who we worship. It's the essence of the Father. So what would that have fallout in this passage? If, you, if you, you've read the passage with me, what are some things that might be a fallout from God being spirit in this passage? Can you get anything? Verses 21 through 24. What would influence, be influenced by him being a spirit? What's that? It's not about one place, right? Because who is God? This spirit, right? We're going to look at this more. It's not about one place. Can't see it, right? Right. So I think we got it pretty much, right? And so we'll, we'll cover some of these things. We can't see them. We're, we're, they're very much about visual, right? At that time, they're very visual place. Um, God's tied to a place and all this sort of thing going on but that's not uh that's not the way things are that's not the way things will be and christ is pointing that out about worship here so that brings us to the next point really and that's where we worship go ahead and write that down where we worship i i've written down here under where we worship that there's a change in worship uh, a change in worship locations is occurring maybe there's a better way to put this because there's a lot involved here but, right, they're worshiping in a place. Mount Gerizim, Jerusalem. Jesus says, I don't even want to talk about that completely right now. I want to talk about how things are changing. Okay, you're going to worship the Father in spirit and in truth. God is spirit. Things are changing. It's not about a location anymore. Um, the special places of worship are coming to an end, at least for now. 
We know there's some sacrificial things that happen later on as well. But for right now, at least we can say that the special locations are, are not what are going to keep us from worshiping. Okay? The Old Testament and the temple and the other worship places that were symbols of his presence and part of an unfulfilled system about to be fulfilled where priests and sacrifices were no longer needed at particular locations, right? It's a new era of worship happening because of Christ himself. The hour is coming. What's the hour? It's tied up with the cross, the resurrection, the ascension, the sending of the Holy Spirit, the birth of the church. This is this, the hour is coming and now is when you don't have to worship in these spots anymore. You can worship God and please him in other ways now as sacrificing yourself. First and second Corinthians talk in several places about that we're the body of the Christ, we're the temple of the Spirit of God. First Corinthians 6:19. Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who's in you, whom you have from God? So what happened to the temple in these locations? You became the temple. Holy Spirit's inside us. And we can worship then wherever we are. We are the worshipers. We are the place of worship. Worship happens from me out to God, right? He can see it all. It's already mentioned, but God is an omnipresent spirit, right? An omnipresent spirit can be worshipped anywhere. Is tied in with this whole idea when it's mentioned that God is spirit and pastor Drew and Pastor Marshall pointed out, I'm glad there's pastors in here to answer the questions. God can be worshipped anywhere. In Taiwan, when we were there, uh, people were worshipping idols. We still have uh, people we know some, uh, that, that worship temples, or worship idols. On some of these idols that you, you could see in Taiwan, um, there would be a little hole. Do you know what the little hole is for? It's not just to hang it on the wall. Anybody know what the little hole is for? So the Spirit could go in. So the Spirit could come, go into that place, and you could worship it. And they're giving these incense and burnings and everything else, make it smell good, Spirit come here, be part of my worship. God is not confined to an idol, a building, a mountain, a valley, a river, a woods. He's not less of a God in various places, or if he's around kryptonite. He is God, no matter what, and everywhere. Not limited. It doesn't change who he is by being somewhere else, because he is everywhere. We know he's everywhere, especially from, um, I guess I just jumped ahead again. We know he's everywhere. I, I didn't put this passage up here, but Psalm 139, quoted here often, Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend into heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning, dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand will lead me. Your right hand shall hold me. He goes on to say that light and darkness don't change who you are. Um, you're even with me in my mother's womb. So he's in big spaces. He's also in very small spaces. He's everywhere. It's amazing. Our omniscient God is everywhere and can be worshipped everywhere. We're not limited even to what the worshiper's body is doing, to doing a certain thing, but his heart. So is it, as that psalm finishes, it says, Search me, O God, know my heart. He's even there, our omniscient God. So now we're to our last um, point here, which is how we worship. 
really, this is the nature of the worship that we're talking about, the spirit and the truth that's called out in this passage. <coughs> Excuse me. In truth has to do with Scripture, ultimately centered on the Word made flesh. That is what the truth is. Some people wonder where truth is. It's not just your truth. It's not what you perceive as truth, which essentially comes down to your opinions based on what you've seen. People talk about my truth or your truth. But it's real truth is only God's truth. This passage, they're missing truth. Remember, they've only accepted. You worship what you do not know. You only took the first five books. There's so much more there, and the Messiah is coming, and all this. And you, you're, you're shutting yourself off from the full word of God, and the word is important because the word is the truth that God is looking for in worship. John 17, 17 says, Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. That's one of the verses for the truth tracker kids. The most important contributor to effect, effective worship is the scripture. Okay, I know we'd like to say maybe it's a spirit. The second half of what's said. Um, some of you and myself maybe would like to say it's the music. Right, It's the most important part. It makes you worship. But the most important contributor to effective worship is the truth, which is God's word. And from that, we're going to see that a lot flows out of that truth. If it's meditated on, if it's thought about, if it becomes you knowing God, it turns into something. It's what informs worship. For us revealed scripture which is ultimately centered on the word made flesh again Romans 12 it says what be transformed by the renewing of your mind that's the word right you're transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may perform acceptable worship is what's going on there at the beginning of Romans 12 how do I perform acceptable worship my act of worship of the living sacrifice but by renewing my mind with the truth so based on this what I've just said, in theory, what would be, what song would be the most powerful one, most worshipful in our church, do you think? I don't know. I, I would like to say maybe right after he's preached the word, right? If you've taken the word, if you've really taken it, and you've meditated on who God is, and then you worship with it. You know, I would think if, it's, if this is true, that truth is going to feed our worship, that that would be the most powerful worship song that we sing here on Sunday mornings because we've just been filled with the word the whole time. Are there churches today who don't get into the meat of the word and are superficial? Are they missing it? Are they missing what could excite them for true worship? Maybe they have false teachers that could hurt the worship. Are there churches that reject the truth because it doesn't fit the status quo. Yep, a lot of compromising going on, right? They're turning away from truth. But that's not what Father, the Father isn't seeking, turning away from truth, accepting all the truth through the Son, right? Focusing especially on the Son. 
There's one um, commentator who said, your praise can only go as high as your understanding goes deep. Because what are you worshiping about? It's kind of an interesting thing to, to think about with this. And, and then with this, this in, in spirit and truth, and I chose to cover truth first. You're worshiping in spirit and truth. Those are very much tied together. And most of the commentaries I even read on it said that. These are two things that are very tied together in the language. So here we have in spirit. What is in spirit? Well, this is what I believe it is. Okay, as far as I can tell from what I've studied, in spirit is a heart full of love in response to the word. Which is why I'm saying the truth of the word is so important. Because this is your heart responding to it. And this is what God is looking for from true worshipers. Spirit and truth. The excitement from the truth. As an offering to God. Our worship must flow out of the heart. Spirit and truth are inseparably married. When I, um, one of the questions I had about this passage as I started to look at it was, um, is it more the Holy Spirit in me or my spirit? my heart but i've kind of just decided that that's not important because if i'm saved the spirit's there and it's part of me and it's he's enlivened my spirit within me and so it's it's his spirit it's my spirit it's all right there and i'm excited right and what does the spirit do but constantly work with the word enlightening it talks about I believe in Corinthians, about enlightening. The Spirit enlightens. It gave us the words to, to men of God. who uh, He breathes it out to men of God. The Spirit and the Word working so well together all the time. The Word leads excitement of the Spirit, leading worship. And we have this passage here, which is one of the bread and butter passages for musicians. It says, Colossians 3.16, Let the Word of Christ dwell in you. Okay, is that the truth? Yes, that's the truth. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Mm, richly. Maybe some meditation going on in all wisdom. Teaching and admonishing one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Singing with what? Grace in your hearts or the gift in your hearts to the Lord. I'm filled with the word and I sing with the gift of God in my heart because of how I've just richly thought about who God is and he's looking for those who worship in spirit and in truth. And is that you as you come? If truth doesn't excite you, why not? Are you distracted here? Do you have some idols in your life on Sunday morning? Are you thinking about something else? That's, that's become your idol. The word is what, what we're looking for and what will ex is pleasing to God. We all know that it's possible to do the right thing with the wrong heart. And that's what I'm warning you about when you come to worship God. Are you here doing the right thing? Yeah, I'm coming to church. I'm singing. But that doesn't necessarily mean you're one of his people. You can do the right thing with the wrong heart. It might mean that you're distracted and so you don't have the right heart involved in the worship. Um, Isaiah 29, 13 says, As in my... Inasmuch as these people draw near to me with their mouths and honor me with their lips, but have removed their hearts far from me. Jesus repeated that 
to the Pharisees in Matthew 15, 8 as well. Matthew 23, which is mentioned as a, uh, uh, see this on your notes, uh, he talks about the hypocrites, their tombs painted white, their dead-hearted Pharisees, he warns. You're doing these things, but it's nothing to me. What is this? Saying God's name and not meaning it in your heart. What would we call that? Hypocrisy? Double-minded? Taking the Lord's name in vain. People do it out there in the world all the time, and it's on TV all the time. They're, taking, they're saying the Lord's name without genuineness. So have you ever taken the Lord's name while we've worshipped here on Sunday? Have you taken it in vain? Probably have, yeah. I probably have. Because I haven't always thought about it. I might have thought about something else. And I'm just like saying these things about God and I'm not thinking about, I'm not really respecting him. Right? So a little warning to us about the importance of the heart being tied into this this mind and heart together, this truth and spirit together. It's not enough to be in church. It's, it isn't even enough to just sing along with the songs, but you could still be taking the Lord's name in vain. I, I propose for you to think about. And then Romans 12, 17, the kingdom of God, again, that's the believers. It's not about eating and drinking, which was part of a lot of sacrifices and worship that were going on. But the kingdom of God, those people who are believers, it's about righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. And that's your heart engaged. It's that joy that we have as Christians. So as we kind of close here, um, as much as I hate to say it, worship is not music. Music is just poetry with a tune. So think about it. Worship isn't simply expository preaching. Worship, worship is the word stimulating your heart to express itself. In Psalm 86, 11 through 12, David says, Teach me your way. That would be the truth, right? Oh Lord, I'll walk in your truth. So he's saying, here's a truth. Unite my heart around this truth, and I will praise you. And that's the acceptable worship that God's looking for from us in spirit and in truth. Look at this quote John MacArthur has. Just read that on your own. So an application. Get your thumbs ready. Who? So this would be true or false. How about that? Okay. Let's see if you how you do. If is who you are important in worship? It. Yeah, some people are like, no, it's like, it depends how you're thinking, right? You're like, no, it's not about Jews or Samaritans. It is about who you are because you have to be gods, right? Is who you are important in worship? Yep, it is. It's just not what they thought. Is how you worship important? Is how you worship important? Yes, but it's not about location now. It's about my heart and the truth, right? That's constantly there and my response to the truth. So with that, uh, one of the other questions that we have there on your page is, what does worshiping in your spirit sound like? 
man, that means that guy who doesn't sound very good might actually be worshiping more than me. Right? Because he's so excited. He's letting it go. He's, he's taking in the truth, and it means so much. And you know people like this. Do you worship God on Sunday morning and through the week? So what would it take to do that? The truth and your heart. And they're engaged, right? They're coming together. The spirit just enlivened inside of you. So I hope that you are a people who would worship God. Let's close with one stanza of a song. Drew, why don't you come lead it? Because... They're tired of me being up here. Let's turn in our hymnals to 412 tonight. 412, and Drew's going to sing, and he's going to close in prayer. So, a passion for thee, that my heart is engaged.